0: I have to admit, I, I, uh, I know that we're supposed to be in this section of Scripture this morning and focusing on uh, Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac, or at least in gesture. Um, I don't have a very clear outline. Uh, what I want to do is just walk through this passage of Scripture. Whenever I come to this portion of Scripture, it is so... I, I can't get to the bottom of it. And it's not that it's confusing, it's just so uh, deep in who God is, and it echoes so richly of his purposes, and uh, the story of Jesus, and the gospel, and father and son, and this moment in Abraham's life, and it's just so, it's so rich, and I never know, you know, how do you make five points on this passage of scripture? It's like, you just have to, you just have to let it wash over you. And really, the all of the echoes of the gospel, you just have to let them sort of uh, come to life and, and spend time. so what I want to do today is just spend time in, in particular this chapter chapter twenty two and um, I mean so, so much of our life in God boils down to what happens here uh, between the lord and, and abraham, and uh, so I just want to try and allow the Spirit to uh, to bring us where we need to go. Um, I'm, I, I, like I said, I don't have a very clear outline. I want to walk through this chapter and uh, listen to the Holy Spirit in this chapter. So, a little a little more unconventional. Um, maybe a little harder to take notes. Um, but this is where I feel like we need to be this morning. When uh, It's like I, I revere this passage of Scripture a lot and I don't want to do much to it. Okay? Uh, or try and um manipulated in any way. It's, it's so deep. Uh, so it, it opens up. Uh, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. All right. Now I want to I go back to uh, 10 chapters before in chapter 12. And it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Okay, these are two great bookends of Abraham's life. Uh, The first one is a command with a promise. Go from your father's house. The second one, and you notice the way that the command is given. Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house. It's like an increasing intensity and specificity. Okay? Same thing happens here. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And he really, God just really narrows in, hones in on what it is that he wants to, uh, that he wants Abraham to do. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. So the first, in the initial call in chapter 12, it's laden with promise. Okay, Here, um, God's testing Abraham and he's giving him commands that he expects him to obey. And they are, they're odd commands. They're extreme. Okay, And I, I've, many of you have heard me say this before, but I think the most important verse in this whole chapter is after these things. I think that's the most important phrase in this whole chapter. After these things. Meaning what? Meaning that this is the, this is the culmination of a years-long process that God has been uh, putting Abraham through. Okay? This is the Abraham whom God has called. This is the Abraham whom God has uh, brought back out of Egypt after that thing. This is the Abraham that has delivered Lot from the hands of the Gentile kings. This is the Abraham who has cut a covenant... With God in chapter 15. This is the Abraham who has looked up into stars. And heard the promise of God. And believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. This is the Abraham who in chapter 17. Receives the the, reaffirmation of the covenant. And the sign of circumcision. This is the Abraham whom God brings into his purposes. In judging Sodom. And actually listens to Abraham. And takes Abraham's concerns into consideration. And actually alters his course of action. Based on that. This is the Abraham who has mercy on Lot, and because of that, God has mercy on Lot. Okay? After these things. This is the Abraham who was way past the age of bearing children, and whose wife was also way past the age of bearing children. This is the Abraham who took Hagar to produce offspring, and did, and God blessed that offspring, but said, no, I'm going to do it another way. (laughs) And this is the Abraham who, in chapter 21, finally, receives a child... From Sarah, God has supernaturally overcome every natural limitation in their life. And after these things. Okay, so this is a point at which God is saying, I'm, I'm going to test you. Now, the, the idea of God testing someone is not one that we like to uh, think about. Right? We like to hear about God uh, pouring out grace on us, God providing for us, God protecting us. Well, God tests us as well. What is he, why does he test us to sort of put a bar that we have to jump over? No, to show us what's in our hearts. This is why God tests His people. Okay, and all this is a major theme in Scripture: God testing His people. Okay, um, you can walk through the Exodus story, and um, you can see God testing His people as He leads them out of Egypt. There's a lot of Egypt still in them. And we'll talk about this a lot when we get to Exodus. There's still a lot of Egypt, a lot of worldly ways in his people. And he needs to reveal to them that they don't really trust the creator of heaven and earth to give them food. That they complain when they become hungry. That they really don't don't trust to the point of, of total dependence the God who has brought them out of Egypt. And really he takes 40 years in the wilderness to test his people. To reveal to them what has been in their hearts. You guys are going around and around and around. And, around, and it's just because you won't finally give up. And totally trust me. Okay. Um, in Deuteronomy. When, when Moses is sort of recapping the trials. In the wilderness. He says. This is because you put God to the test ten times. <laughs> and, because, and so God is testing you. And he's, he caused you to become hungry. So that you would know. What's in your heart? So that you would know that it's not by bread that man lives, but by obedience, by hearing and doing the word of God. This is the God who, when they go in and take the land, in, in the book of Judges it says that he didn't have them drive out all the enemy nations. Why? So that there would be some enemy there to test the people, so that they would learn war, it says. This is the God who placed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden. What was that if not a test? A test of obedience. And this is the God who worked in the life of Job. The ultimate test. The ultimate existential crisis. and, 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 And the end of that test is what? I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. And the way God tests Job is, is he just asks some questions. Job says, why? Why is this happening? What is going on? What is this? And, and he says, brace yourself like a man. This is, I love this backdrop here, this soundtrack. To he says, brace yourself like a man. Let me ask you some questions. <laughs> Where were you when I brought the world into existence? And then he just goes on and just lays on wave after wave of putting Job in his place. And the answer is what? Job says, Now my eye sees you, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. In other words, who in, the, who in their right mind as a creature of the Creator would interpret life through the lens of how it affects me? Right? And then God finally gets Job to the place where he sees from a right perspective. Okay? This is, these are all tests, and God is continually testing. Um, you could say uh, that in, I forget which gospel it is, but Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Hey, uh, Peter, Satan desired to have you so that he could sift you like wheat. And Peter, you know, you can imagine, well, well you said no, right? He says, and when you've turned, strengthen your brothers. <laughs> Good luck with that, Peter. I'll see you on the other side. And, and Peter does. He receives a test and he ends up denying God. And Jesus comes and restores him after that test. And you can bet from that point on, he walked differently. This is the God who, who uh, wrestled with Jacob and touched his hip right, and caused, the, caused him to limp. Okay, so God tests his people because his people are so full of themselves. They don't realize how full of themselves that they are. Now, Abraham up to this point has been obedient. He has responded to the word of God faithfully. He's had some mistakes, but it seems like he's learned from those mistakes. But here God has one final test. And it's in this test uh, that Abraham does prove that he's blameless. Because you hear no talk back from Abraham in this whole passage. All All you see in this passage is him hearing the word of God and doing it. Okay, at this point in his life, he has learned how to follow God. He has learned what faith is. God is removing, and this is, what God, this is why God tests Abraham and why he tests any, any of his children, is to remove every possible thing that we could place our identity in besides him. This is why in 1 Corinthians, he says, I chose what's low in the world, what's despised, what's weak, in order to shame the strong, so that no flesh could glory in the presence of God. God works to test us, not to create an impossible standard, but to take away every possible reason that we could say, yes, we did this. He makes us utterly dependent on him. So that when we look back through our life, we can't but say, oh, it was the grace of God. It was the grace of God. There was, there was no other possible way. Okay? And you see this also, uh, again, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, when they're getting ready to go back into the land. He says, lest you, I know that once you get into the land and you start tasting the blessing, you start, you know, getting the milk and the honey and all the, all the riches and it's overflowing, you're going to turn back and you say, my hand got me this. Hey, I think I deserve this. Right? It's at that moment that we failed. Okay? When we begin to consume the blessing in, in an entitled way. Okay? When we begin to feel like, you know what, I was worth saving. It might maybe more than someone else. When we are the Pharisee looking up and saying, you know, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. You know, I've, I've turned out okay. Right? That's the thing that God tests us to remove from our hearts. And this echoes of the call of a disciple. Okay? Jesus said, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Why? To create some sort of, like, Buddhist-sounding paradox? No. Because when you seek to preserve your life, you are, in fact, remaining in death. And when you divest yourself, when you allow yourself to become crucified and, and poured out, you have discovered what life is really about. Okay? So let's read through this. From afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, some people say that that was a statement of faith right there that we're going and we're coming back. How do you go and sacrifice your son and both come back? (laughs) Um, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And people have said that this is an indication that Isaac was, was probably a grown man at this point. We think of like little Isaac. Oh, little, little guy, you put him on the altar. No, he might have been around 30 at this point. Um, but he was, he was of age, I think we can say, with confidence. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said to him, here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But an angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns, And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. And they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. So this is... This is a story that we need to, to, to realize is, is for all of us. This is a story that is about taking up our cross and following God. When it says, when, when Jesus says, whoever would seek, whoever wishes to be my disciple, let him take up his cross and follow me. Uh, it's very clear, right? Whoever doesn't take up his cross, he's not my disciple. And we hear that and we go, okay, all right, yeah, great. Um, but... It's important to note that the cross, I think this is really illustrated by Abraham's obedience here. The cross is not the pressures of life. The cross is not you know, being a parent with a lot of children. Okay, those are those are all just pressures of life. The cross is what? The cross is a decision of your will to lay down your life. Okay, if if it's when you get sick, that's not your cross to bear, right? Because the cross didn't happen to Jesus. It's very important that, that Jesus chose and embraced the cross. And Jesus says, let him, let him take up his cross, not let him just submit to the cross if it happens to happen that day, if something cross-like happens to you. Well, be okay with it. That's not what he says. That's not what a disciple is. It's Here's what the cross is, is when the will of God... And your will go in different directions. And you choose the will of God. Right? And it's an act of your will. Here in Abraham's life, he chose to obey, to lay his son Isaac on the altar. Okay? It wasn't done to him. And it seems to be that Abraham was in full compliance with the will of God. Probably wasn't his will. Right? Probably wasn't sitting around thinking, you know what I should do today is go sacrifice Isaac. (laughs) But clearly, this was a moment in his life where the will of God went one way and his will went another way. Probably the most poignant moment. Um, because, you know, you can even, you could even imagine Abraham being like, if, if, if God told him, I want you to go die for your son Isaac. He'd be like, oh, okay, yep, I'm, I'll do that. But this is, no, go sacrifice your son Isaac. I mean, this is, this is totally a foreign thing to us. Especially the child of the promise. The child of a miracle. And God says, this is what I, I want to show you what the cross is. I want to show you the way that we do it. Okay? And you have to hear the echoes. Why, why, is, why does God want Abraham to prove that he will part with his son, his only son? That's because who God is. That's who, that's who God is. God has not withheld his son, his only son. That's how he brings redemption into the earth. And in fact, that's the only way to bring redemption into the earth is to not withhold your son, your only son, to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Everything else is just going to be good stuff that God gives to you. But there's a moment in everyone's life or maybe there's a season or a series of moments where it becomes clear that to do this is death to me and that I am going to do it in obedience and faith. When we, this is part of the Lord's Prayer, by the way. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Jesus prayed that. Do you know where he prayed that? In the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if there's any other way, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. When Jesus prayed that, it meant an embrace of his own death. When you pray, thy will be done. Do you realize that it means an embrace of your own death or the death of your son, Isaac? Right. And there's something for the parents in here. OK, I think that just the act of putting your son on the altar. There's something to there's some wisdom in parenting there. OK, not that we want to uh, <laughs> sacrifice our children to the Lord, uh, but I think this was very, it, was, it would have been very easy for Abraham to, even though the birth of his son was miraculous, to somehow take his value from the fact that he now had a son. Even even a miraculous son. Okay, and, and we as parents, and this can, I think it's especially, it hits us in, in, in our deepest parenting heart. You would never want to do this to your child. But the, the, the reality is you're gonna to have to do this with your child. You are going to have to surrender them to the Lord. You are raising your children to go die for the world. Okay, and the way that we the way that we raise them, the way that we interact with them, needs to reflect this total willingness to. Let God do with them whatever he wishes. Now, we, obviously, we never wish the death of our children. But we do die to whatever identity we take in our children. Whatever fondness of them that might get in the way of what God wants to do with them. That's a very, very hard word to hear. And God will bring you to that place after these things. Right, as you walk with him as you understand who He is. You will get to the place where you truly do see you and your children participating in the redemptive work of God, which is not withholding anything, even our own children, for the purpose of the work. So this is a place that God ultimately brings us. He brings us to Mount Moriah, and He says... What is that thing? What is that last shred of humanly identity that you cling to? What is it? I want you to lay that on the altar. Not so that you can be saved, but so that you can see what is truly in your heart. So that you can see whether you really trust me or not. This is why God tests us. To help us see where we don't trust him. So this is mentioned uh, in a couple places in the New Testament. I just want to read them, and I'm I'm pretty much done. Um, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, this is Hebrews 11, eleven eleven seventeen, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead which from which figuratively speaking he did receive him back what was it that caused Abraham to be able to do that in faith it was that he believed in the power of the resurrection okay and this is what's remarkable about Abraham there was, no, there was no evidence in physical, of physical resurrection at that point in history. It wasn't a part of the, the grand plan that God was revealing. There wasn't really a guarantee of, of so much of life after death. If you read through the Old Testament scripture, after death, you know, especially some Psalms, death seems to be kind of the end. Right? You go down to this shadowy pit called Sheol, and that's about it. Right? There was no visions of, like, paradise and heaven. And, right? It was like, you know, we come, to a, we come to the end, and then we go down to the dust. <laughs> right? And Abraham believed in the power of the resurrection. There are a few people that got glimpses of the power of the resurrection in the Old Testament. Another one is David in Psalm 16. He says, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. He was prophesying the power of the resurrection. So Abraham's faith was in God's power to raise him from the dead. And this is mentioned in Romans 2. And he says, he believed that he could bring into existence things that are not. And that he could bring life from the dead. That was what his faith was in. So the faith was not... His faith was not in, well, yeah, God's not going to make me do that. God's got me. God's going to provide for me. No, the faith was in... If God's telling me to do this, he'll raise him back from the dead, right? So that takes even more faith. It's faith in what comes after I give my life away, what comes after I embrace self-sacrifice, what comes after me submitting to the grave or submitting my child to the grave. That's where his faith was. And then in James... And it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. This is in a book that opens up this way. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, the ultimate act of faith is what? It's renouncing every last shred of clinging to your own life. That is where faith will lead us. Faith will lead us to. These works of self sacrifice will lead us to take up our cross, not so that we can get to heaven, right? I mean, people just go crazy and say, Well, no, God doesn't require you to do anything. Well, no, He doesn't. But He will work with you and He will reveal what's in your heart to you and He will get you to the place that when His will comes into your life and it intersects with your will and they're headed in a different direction, you will embrace His will and do His will as an act of your own will. Why? Because you will know that he can raise you from the dead. You believe in the power of the resurrection. Okay. Now Abraham had this faith. We have proof of the resurrection, right? We have Jesus, and this is the season of celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Easter's in two weeks, and uh, so as we as we near Easter, I want to encourage you to um, ask yourself: do you, Are you being tested in any way? Is God trying to? show you what's in your heart? Is he trying to show you anything that you cling to in this life that, uh, that you sort of would mourn to put on the altar? That your, your flesh would mourn if it went away? Right? Abraham's flesh would mourn. And, and it's not bad things, right? These aren't sins. This is Isaac. He's the very evidence of the promise of God. He is the very symbol of God's faithfulness. If anything was a good thing in Abraham's life, it was Isaac. And even that, he says, lay it on the altar. Do not cling to this. Okay, So God will test you. and so, But what we need to realize is that you can take up your cross. You can follow Jesus. You can renounce every last shred of the grip of the flesh on your life. Why? Because you know that God is able to raise you from the dead. Right? And if we, have no, if we have no hope in that, then we are of all people most to be pitied. Okay? So, as we, as we near Easter, and as we, as we approach it, and as we are reminded of just the significance of the resurrection of Jesus, we need to realize that it's significant because it gives us, beyond the shadow of a doubt, the evidence of the things that Abraham hoped for. Right, these were things unseen. Now they've been seen. Okay. Um, so that's it. I mean that's that's what I wanted to call it to. I mean, it's it's a very simple thing. God wants to get at every last shred of self sufficiency, of identity that, that we place in anything other than Him. And He will work with us in our lives and He will bring us to places of testing where He gives us a choice. And our response to His challenge, our response to His test, will prove to Him, but, it, but I think even more importantly, it will prove to us that we really do trust Him. And we will see that our hearts really do fear Him. Um, so it seems like there might be some thoughts or some some questions surrounding this um, so I wanted to open it up a little bit if, if anyone has anything to, to share or ask. look into that. The only thing I can think of is when it says in Romans that he, we know that he believed that God in one God, and in the God who created heaven and earth. And so surely that he must have linked that to power over life and death as well, I think. Uh, um, Because those two things are clearly linked in the New Testament with, with the faith of Abraham. His ability to create from nothing, and his ability to bring Life from the dead. It seems like if you believe in one, you, you believe in the other. I mean, that God is the God. Yeah. The whole idea of like the years and years that he walked with them like it really ties in well with the pain that came out of the past and just abiding. Yeah. Mm Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's the that's the thing, and the the theme of Exodus is (laughs) I forget. I think it's a book. uh, I think it's the book of Numbers. It opens up and it says like it's thirteen days travel from this place to this place, and that's an important detail because they spend forty years going from that place to that place, and God has us on a process. Sometimes, because of our own inability to see it, we're just circling around in the wilderness. And it's just a 13-day trip, but it's taken us 40 years. Sometimes we come to the place and we really do see it, like Abraham. And we say, oh, I, I, see, I see this. I, I trust you. I'm just going to do this thing. I really do trust you. And I believe, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me, but you must have something in mind. So I'm going to obey in this way. Um, and Abraham was able to then see, uh, you know, he believed in the resurrection, but then he was able to, to have tangible proof that ram caught in the thicket. He was able to, you know, every time that God, I think from then on, asked him to do something, that ram would come to his mind. You know, that ram was such a powerful symbol of the Lord will provide. On the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Well, we have, we have Jesus. You know, we have him on the cross. To come to our mind whenever God asks us to do anything that costs us and uh, tests our faith. Um, much better than a ram in a thicket. It's, it's the very Son of God himself hanging on the cross with a crown of thorns around his head. I'm assuming because we have the text to begin with, at this point there is already some form sort of oral tradition that even also those stories like that, and some of that stuff is that say what the same like Yeah. So you can see Yeah. some vision, some idea of yeah. the concept of like, God like how he, yeah like, sort of yeah you can look up the, the timelines of when people actually died and who was alive at the same time, it's pretty fascinating um, I think that not many not, not too many generations from Noah were still alive when Abraham was alive, or when Terah was alive and so, yeah, I think there would have been sort of an oral wisdom passed down uh, about who God was. Yeah. Annabelle. and Hannah and the first time she had to wait to have a kid. And then when she she gave it to gave it up
1: to
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's... Very much the same lesson uh, Hannah's a great picture of of crying out for a child, but then also uh, honestly being willing to give that child to the Lord. Um, she said, "I just want a child and, and then she does follow through on her promise but yeah, her desperation and she was uh, you know she was barren, just like sarah um, that's a that 's a huge theme all through the the old Testament barrenness and God moving. In, uh, in the life of barren women to bring forth uh, really prominent figures and then ultimately I think uh, in the story of Mary she's not barren but she is a virgin you know it was an impossible thing and um, brought forth the savior of the world through her, through her faith and trust in God and her compliance she said be it done unto me according to your word that's a great statement of faith be it done to me according to your word yeah. Definitely a connection there. Yep. Well, even in the very next uh, generation, you know, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, she's barren. <laughs> and then Rachel is barren. And finally has a son. This is, this is a theme. We, we got a sense of theme here. Three times in, in three generations. God's telling us something. All right, well, so my my encouragement to you is to um, just take this and, and ponder it. You know, it might not be some huge revelation now, but this is one of those things that we really need to come back to regularly and keep in our mind so that we are able to properly respond to what God's doing in our lives, right? There are times when it just doesn't make sense to do what God's telling us to do or what, what's clear that God wants us to do. It just doesn't make sense. And at that point, we need to say, we really need to, to bend our will to God's will. And that really is the place of the cross. You know, the cross isn't the general difficulties of life. And I can't say this too many times because people have this in the idea of like, well, I've suffered a lot, so I must, you know, I must have done the, the cross thing pretty well. Like, well, No. Because you could be just as selfish as the last person. You're just a suffering person who's selfish. Right? The, the, the point is, have you seen where you don't want to do what God wants you to do, but you said, nevertheless, my, thy will be done, and laid down your life, laid down your will, and watched what God does. That's the, that's the point of the cross. All right. Um, yeah, that's about it. I think we need to spend some time in prayer this week and moving forward. This this really needs. This is one of the great underpinnings of uh, the whole rest of the Old Testament story. Um, seeing how God deals with with people to get them to the place where He can bring His redemption into the earth through their life. He really has to get everything that would cling to anything worldly out of their lives so that he can come and, and really uh, multiply them. All right, well, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, passage of Scripture. And God, help us to really understand what it's saying, uh, really understand what it means for our walk with you, uh, Lord, how to respond to tests that you bring into our lives, places in our lives where you reveal to us what's really in our hearts, and you give us opportunities to, um, to surrender those things to you. Father, I know that you work with everyone uh, individually in these things. Lord, you bring us uh, to places in our lives where we have to um, offer every last bit of ourselves up to you on the altar. And offer every last bit of what we love up to you on the altar. And... Um, and watch what you do. Uh, but Lord, give us that heart that as the psalmist says, every morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Uh, Lord, help us to lay ourselves on the altar. And help us to, to do it not out of a sense of striving or um, uh, of self-sufficiency, Lord, but out of a, a place of worship or a desire to worship to you, a desire to be a living sacrifice before you be surrendered to you. Uh, so, Lord, work with us each individually and show us the things in our life that we need to place on the altar, that we need to respond to you in faith. Uh, and, God, help us not to shrink back from, from your testing, your hand of testing. Help us to know that it is, a, it is the Father's hand. It is, it is your Holy Spirit disciplining us and uh, maturing us, revealing our own hearts to ourselves. Uh, so, Lord, help us to respond and, and be compliant Uh, with that hand, that Father's hand in our life. And ultimately, Lord, we say that we trust you. We want to know the power of the resurrection in our lives, and we know that we can't know that power if we honestly haven't been embracing death to ourselves. So make us a faithful people, Lord, faithful like Abraham, uh, so that we could truly be known as your friends, and so that the world could see uh, who you are through our lives, and we would be a blessing.